Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. The Bible says, And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed which is sown upon the soil. Though it is smaller than all the other seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Listen to the words of Eric Dockett in a recent Sports Illustrated article, and I quote, Every football fan has their own opinion on who was the greatest NFL running back of all time. There's a strong argument for Jim Brown, but for me, it's Walter Payton. For 13 seasons, he was nearly unstoppable. And by the time, by the time he was done, he was number one, the number one rusher in NFL history with 16,726 total yards on the ground. Though no one can say for sure how he got his nickname, Sweetness, it's often been attributed to his soft voice and his laid-back disposition. One thing is for sure, Peyton was anything but sweet to his opponents on the field. He rushed for over 1,200 yards every season. He scored 110 rushing touchdowns and averaged 4.4 yards per carry for his career. He was also a receiving threat out of the backfield and caught 492 passes for 4,538 yards and 15 touchdowns in his career. Peyton even passed for 331 yards and eight touchdowns as a bear. Listen to this. These numbers are staggering. Peyton and his bears finally made it to the Super Bowl and won a championship. End of quote. Now when you think about Walter Peyton, And the 1985 Chicago Bears, who actually won the Super Bowl in 1986, there's one word that comes to mind. You ready? Here's the word. Unstoppable. Their team and Walter Payton were literally unstoppable. So unstoppable is defined as incapable of being stopped. In other words, there's nobody that could stop this team. Another writer explained it this way. This was one of the NFL's most unstoppable teams. So not only is that attributed to Walter Payton, it was also attributed to the entire 1985 Chicago Bears team. Now, in the fourth chapter of Mark's Gospel, so far we've examined three parables. We've looked at the parable of the sower and the soils. We've looked at the parable of the lamp and the parable of the seed. This morning, we're going to look at the last parable, the parable of the mustard seed. And one of the things I want you to see, this overarching theme that we find in Mark chapter 4, deals with the kingdom of God. So with that said, we've got to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? Well, one writer describes it as follows, and I quote, Broadly speaking, the kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal, sovereign God over all the universe. More narrowly, the kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. Those who defy God's authority and refuse to submit to Him are not a part of the kingdom of God. End of quote. So that begs the question, first and foremost, 
What does it take to be a part of the kingdom of God? And then secondly, the question that you and I have to ask ourselves individually is, am I a part of the kingdom of God? So in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to willingly repent of your sins and believe the gospel. We've learned this from Jesus from the outset of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So when you examine the life of Jesus, when you study the details of his life, you learn very quickly that Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. Now I'm sure you've heard the old saying, He's so heavenly minded, He's no earthly good. You've probably heard that before, right? Now when I think about that, I think that that is a bunch of hogwash. And here's why. Jesus was heavenly minded, and today we need more men and women, especially those who are a part of the church and name the name of Christ, to be heavenly minded like our Lord and Savior Jesus. More folks to be solely focused on the kingdom of God. You see, the world in which we're living is temporary. It's here for a moment, as James says, and then it quickly passes away. As a matter of fact, James says this. He says, it's like a vapor. Here one minute and gone the next. Now, we can't do it just yet, but in just a couple weeks, if not a couple months, you're going to be able to walk outside, breathe, you'll see the vapor, and boom, just like that, it's gone. And James is telling us that this life, this world that's temporary, is just like that. Yet many people today, they spend their entire lives desiring to be a part of a team like the Chicago Bears of 1985. That's only temporary. But here's the good news for us today. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is good news. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are a part of a team that's eternal. It doesn't just last for a year, but it goes on for all eternity. So if you're a part of Team Jesus, the same is true of you. And if you're not yet on Team Jesus, today's the day to begin being a part of Team Jesus. Amen? We need more people that will come on board and be a part of Team Jesus. So for the next few moments, what I want to do is simply share two truths with you that we learned from this text pertaining to the kingdom of God. And I've entitled this message, Unstoppable. Unstoppable. Here's the first thing I want you to note. The kingdom starts out small. The kingdom starts out small. Verses 30 and 31. Now keep in mind here, context. Because context is crucial. Context is king. This is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about expository preaching. About working through books of the Bible. When we began this series, little did we know that we would be going through a pandemic. But as we began this series, one of the things that I said is, I said, I want to journey through the Gospel of Mark and walk my folks through the Gospel of Mark. And some of you probably said, he's going to go through the whole Gospel of Mark. That's 16 chapters. You have any idea how long that's going to take? Well, it's probably going to take a year or so. But one of the things I wanted to do is to preach through the Gospel of Mark. And the reason being is you're able to study the Scripture in its context. And context is crucial. So we're on this journey through the Gospel of Mark. And if you're just now joining us, either here or online, there's no better time than right now to grab your notebook, to grab your Bible, and to come along for this journey. But Jesus has been teaching in parables. We know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the multitudes had followed Jesus. Now think about this. Just a, just a few verses ago, a, a chapter ago or so, Jesus had gathered in the town of Capernaum. This was his hometown. 
He took up residence there. Many believe that he lived with the apostle Peter. But he, he stayed there and they had gathered at Peter's house. And there were so many folks there. Listen to this. So many folks there that even his family who came to see him couldn't get in, in the house. That's how many people had gathered there. And the, she, the scene has shifted from the multitude surrounding him to Jesus now teaching these parables with just a handful of folks. So in Mark chapter 4 verse 10, this is what we note. As soon as he was alone, that is Jesus, his followers along with the twelve began asking him about parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are on the outside they get everything in parables. And then here in Mark chapter 4 verse 34, the Bible says that Jesus was explaining everything privately to his disciples. So then, Jesus was speaking to his followers, to those who, listen to this, they heard the word. Remember we talked about the listening ears? The word didn't fall on deaf ears, they heard it. They received the word. They trusted in the Lord. And now Jesus says to them, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus, tell us, what is the kingdom of God like? He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, you've got to wonder what the response was of the disciples. What were they thinking when Jesus said that? You know, they had spent some time with Jesus. They understood the mustard seed. According to John Phillips, this is what he says. They must have stared blankly at him in astonishment. A grain of mustard seed? Why? That was nothing. You could hardly see it. It was so small and insignificant. So Jesus gathers these guys and these gals around, and he talks to them, and he says, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. It's like a mustard seed. And they're probably going, Jesus, couldn't you have used something different besides a mustard seed? But no, Jesus used the mustard seed, and he had a purpose behind what he was teaching them. Now, a mustard seed, for example, is about the size of a pepper flake. It's about the size of a speck of sand. Now, that's extremely small, right? I mean, it would be hard for you to see. As a matter of fact, when I, I walked up here, I didn't have my glasses on. And then I opened my Bible and I said, something's wrong. I need to put my glasses on so I can see. So you would need glasses perhaps to see that. But that mustard seed, Jesus says, yes, it's small and insignificant. But he used it to explain the kingdom of God to them. Here is why. Because the mustard seed, when it's sown on good soil, when it's watered, when it receives sunlight and most importantly the hand of God, it grows into a bush. Listen to this, according to John MacArthur, that is some 15 feet tall by 6 feet in diameter. That's huge. And the mustard seed, which appears to be small and insignificant, is much like the kingdom of God. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus' birth, for example. How many times have you turned on the news and you've heard that a royal baby is going to be born? I mean, the tabloids and the news media, they go crazy, right? There's 10,000 photographers there and the news is published. But think about the birth of Jesus. It wasn't like the birth of a royal child. It wasn't breaking news that caught everyone's attention. No, Jesus was born in a manger. I mean, for crying out loud, he was born in a feeding trough. He was born in a, a poor and lowly place. He was also wrapped in swaddling clothes, in clothes that were ragged and torn. And he came into the world, listen to this, as a lamp. 
the parable of the lamp. He came into the world as a lamp, not an explosion, not like a stick of dynamite. And although he's the light of the world, from the world's perspective, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection seemed small and insignificant. Much like the mustard seed. We're talking about Jesus, the Messiah. We're talking about God in the flesh. But it wasn't just Jesus. Think about his followers, those he called, those he was speaking to. His first disciples he called along the shores of Galilee. Simon and Andrew, James and John, Levi. Peter, James and John, they're a part of the inner circle here. But Jesus called 12 disciples and these guys were not the most popular folks in town. I mean, they weren't the type of people that everyone wanted on their team. No, they were political zealots. They were tax collectors. They were fishermen. They were simply ordinary men. And many people in the world looked at these guys that Jesus called, and this is what they said. They're just small and insignificant. Perhaps many folks today look at us as believers and say, you know, that person over there, they're just small and insignificant. Yet listen to this, God took them and God used them in a remarkable way. And as a result of their love for Jesus, their love for others, they literally turned the world upside down. You and I are here today because of the faithfulness of these disciples. I've thought about this often. What if those disciples would have said, you know, James, uh, John, uh, Peter, man, this, is, this, this Christianity stuff, following Jesus, this is just too tough. I mean, it's too hard. Why don't we just leave this and go back to doing something different? And as a matter of fact, there was a time, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times. And there was a time when they went back to the Sea of Galilee fishing. But what if they would have chosen to do that? I praise the Lord that they didn't. And when I think about this, it reminds me of the old hymn that explains this so well. You've heard the hymn before. Little is much when God is in it. Right, Miss Beebe? Little is much when God is in it. So God is still at work today in the hearts and the lives of people. And don't think for a moment that the work that God has called you to individually and the work that God has called this church to is, in, is insignificant and small. It's anything but that. That's what the devil wants you to think. The devil wants you to think this. Will you open the doors today and for people to come back in? And the church wasn't packed and it wasn't completely full. You're just small and insignificant, right? That's what the devil wants us to think. But no, we didn't just have one service. We had another service. So we've been able to, to preach the gospel to folks this morning outside. You've come in here to be a part of this worship. We've got folks that are watching online right now and they're hearing the gospel proclaimed. The gospel is anything but small and significant. Little as much when God is in it. You see, that's what the devil wants us to believe. But we've got to view the, the devil the way that Jesus viewed him. Jesus said this of the devil. He's a liar and he's a thief. There's no truth in him. So you've got to recognize who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to stand up, square your shoulders... Keep fighting the fight, keep walking the walk, keep living out the gospel, and rely on the Lord to do what only He can do. So don't think for a moment that the work that God has called you to 
or the work that God has called this church to is small and insignificant. Although the kingdom starts out that way, here's the good news. Notice secondly, it starts out small. But notice secondly, the kingdom grows and becomes large. We find this in verse 32. Look at verse 32. The Bible says, Yet when it is sown, this is the mustard seed, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. So the first question that you may ask is, how in the world does this happen? How does it grow from something the size of a pepper flake and become large and massive, 15 feet high or 6 feet wide? Well, what you've got to recognize is this. With the mustard seed, God's in control. Amen? God's in control. And God causes this itty-bitty mustard seed to grow into something that's large and massive. And the same is true. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't miss this. The same is true when it comes to the kingdom of God. Several weekends ago, we had the opportunity to go over to my mother and father-in-law's house. They live out in the country. They used to live way out in the country, but they don't live way out in the country anymore because there's a lot of stuff that's been built up. Amen. You know what I mean. But we went to my mother and father-in-law's house, and one of the things that my kids enjoy doing when we go to Nana and Granddaddy's house is to get on the golf cart and ride the golf cart around the yard. And they discovered this area... Uh, right beside my mother and father-in-law's house, uh, at my uh, brother and sister-in-law's house, where they can ride the golf cart fast enough that they'll jump this hill. And you ought to be with them while, while we're riding on that. They'll jump that hill, and they'll just start laughing and giggling and get the giggles. They think it's the funniest thing in the world, but Abby wanted to drive. I said, sure, baby girl, come over here. Hop on my lap. She hopped on my lap. She grabbed a hold of the steering wheel, and she was off. I mean, she, she was doing like this for a while, but then before long, she was like doing like this. I'm like, hold, 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 hold on. And if you would have asked her, she would have said, uh, look at me. Look at me. I'm in control here. I, I've got this thing. I, I, I'm taking care of it. But guess what? It was Daddy's foot that was on the gas pedal and the brake. You know what I mean? So as we started heading towards the tree, you know what I did? Shoot. Hit the brake, right? She thought she was in control, but I was in control, right? And that's the perspective we have to have. That's the mindset that we need. I pointed this out in my message last Sunday concerning the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is uh, the thread that's woven through, woven through this. It's the overarching thing. Here's what I pointed out. As a believer, you've got to understand your responsibility and you've got to do your part. And you've also got to realize that what's out of your hands is under His control. Now here's where we're all guilty. As bad as you and I want to grow the kingdom in and of ourselves, we can't do it. We can't do it. So therefore we've got to recognize that you and I must do the part that we've been called to do. And we must allow God to do what only God can do. And as big and bad and ugly as Satan is, I've got news for him. He can't stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. I've read the end of the book, amen? There's nothing he can do to thwart the plan of God. There's nothing he can do to cause the plan of God to cease, to stop the kingdom of God from moving forward and growing. 
So as believers and as the church, we've got to recognize the task to which we've been called. Now when we come to the end of this parable, I want to tie this all together as to what Jesus has been teaching through Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 4. Here's the takeaway in the application if you're taking notes. What's the responsibility? Well, as a believer, your responsibility is to sow the seed and to proclaim the gospel. What is the seed? Is it the mustard seed or the pumpkin seed? No. The seed is the word of God. Even more precisely, the seed is the gospel. The good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we've got to tell others what God has done for us. And we've got to tell others what God can do for them. So you've been called to sow seed. You've also been called, as we've looked at in the parable of the lamp, to let your light shine before men that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So here's what's most important. Not only are you to talk the talk. A lot of folks talk a big game. You're to walk the walk. You're to put... Rubber to the pavement. You're to talk the talk. You're to walk the walk. You're to live out the gospel day in and day out. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Wednesdays. But every day of the week. And I've come to learn this over the years. Before I can preach the gospel to you and to others, I've got to preach the gospel to me, to Brad. I've got to hear and understand better the gospel. Why? Why do you ask? Because the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. I want you to think about this for a moment. A moment. Now this is a tough question. What would happen in your life if you were as passionate about the gospel as you are about your job? As you are about the beach? As you are about the mountains? As you are about your hobbies? As you are about sports? As you are about Facebook or Instagram or all these other social media outlets, what if you were as passionate about the gospel as you are about these things? The gospel changes everything, and here's why. As Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Preacher, why are you so passionate about the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom of God? Because the gospel has changed my life. If you would have told me a number of years ago, hey, you're going to be standing up in front of people, you're going to be preaching. You would have had to have picked me up off the floor. I'd have been laughing so hard. I mean, I'd have been in a ball just rolling. <laughs> you're crazy. There's no way in the world I'm going to do that. I don't do public speaking. You ever had to do that in school? Uh, we're taking a public speaking class, and uh, uh, Brad, today's your day to speak, to give us your public speech. Man, my hands were like all sweaty inside. I thought I was going to like throw up or something, right? But God can take and use you in a mighty, mighty way. The gospel. The gospel changes everything. Now, here's some other good news we've got to take note of as well. Don't overlook what is said here in verse 32. Verse 32 says, Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants 
and forms large branches. Here we go. Listen to this. So that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. What's that all about? Well, Jesus is actually quoting a scripture here that we find in Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 23. Listen to how John Phillips explains this. And I quote, he says, Everywhere the kingdom of God has gone, it's brought with it hospitals, schools, truth, morality, ethics, decency, compassion, and above all, salvation. Wherever the gospel has gone, it has abolished cannibalism, child sacrifice, immolation of widows, polygamy, demonism, slavery, and a thousand other ills. It has built orphanages and asylums, cared for the sick, comforted the bereaved, and helped the infirm. In many lands, even secular governments have taken color from its creed. Even the unsaved have found shelter beneath its branches, like the mustard seed. And the mustard plant, and the, 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 the bush that it grows. And found comfort and a better life in its shade. End of quote. Did you catch that? Not only does the gospel benefit believers, it affects the whole world. And if people would just not harden their heart to the gospel and openly and willingly receive the gospel, imagine how things would be so different than they are today. I mean, think about the small beginnings of the gospel from the shores of Galilee. We've walked through and looked at the disciples that Jesus called. We've looked at the twelve in, in Mark's gospel that he called. And then we know that one of the twelve, he was a bad apple, right? Judas. He wasn't really following Jesus. And then it moved from those twelve who were faithful. After the crucifixion and the resurrection in the book of Acts, we learn of a, about 120 folks or so when Jesus ascended to heaven. And we were told as believers that we are to, to go when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You are to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So you've got 120 or so. And, and listen to this. Then in Acts chapter 2, you've got Peter. Think about what Peter did not long before that happened. Jesus? I don't know that guy. Jesus who? Jesus, he denied Jesus three times. And he was one of the ones that went back and wanted to do things the way that he'd always done them. The old way, right? If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got, right? Some of you have come in here this morning and you're like, that's not what worship used to look like. It isn't, is it? It's been good though, hasn't it? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And it's, it, it'll, it'll change and evolve some as time goes on. But the good thing is we're able to come into the house of God and worship Jesus. Amen. And we see here that these folks were passionate. Peter preached a sermon in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says that 3,000 souls were saved. That's a lot of folks, isn't it? 3,000 folks were saved. And then in Acts 2.47... The Bible says that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that small beginnings, from the small beginnings, through Acts, through history, to where we are today. Now, Tony Marita said the disciples probably never imagined 
how big the church would be today. I mean, think about what they would have been thinking had they known that the church would grow and explode the way that it has throughout history. And even now during a pandemic, the gospel, the kingdom of God is still growing. Did you know this? A lot of folks I don't think knew this. The gospel has been proclaimed every Sunday and Wednesday throughout the pandemic. You're saying, well, we've not been able to meet. We haven't met in this building in six months. But we've not stopped preaching the gospel. You've not stopped loving God. You've not stopped loving people. I mean, we didn't get to a pandemic and you didn't say, well, I don't guess I can love God today. We're in a pandemic. No. You've loved God all the more. Amen. You've drawn closer to God. And we've drawn closer to other people because we've recognized that life is short. And we've got a responsibility that we've been given. So God's grace, even today, is still being extended to folks to turn to Jesus and trust Him in a real and personal way. And if you're here or you're watching online and do not yet know Jesus in a real and personal way, this, this would be uh, my response to you. What in the world are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Why not trust Jesus and surrender to Him today before it's eternally too late and become a part of the kingdom of God? In closing, at the beginning of my sermon, I mentioned Walter Payton and the Chicago Bears, a team that was truly unstoppable. They did a video a number of years ago, the Super Bowl Shuffle. I mean, all these football players were singing and they did this video and I mean, if you would have asked those guys during that time, they would have been the first that would have said, man, we are unstoppable. Don't mess with us. Don't mess with this team. I mean, we went all the way. We're Super Bowl champs. But you know, unfortunately, that was short-lived. And so is this world. Super Bowl twenty was the Chicago Bears' one and only Super Bowl championship. They've not won another one since 1985. Just that one. Walter Payton eventually retired. Other folks on the team eventually went and did other things. And that team was never unstoppable the way that it was during that Super Bowl championship. Here's the good news for you today. The good news. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. There's nothing. And you mark my word. There's nothing that will be able to stop the kingdom of God moving forward. Amen. And you and I have a privilege and an opportunity to participate in this. And to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now fast forward into the book of Revelation and listen to these words from Revelation 5. Revelation 5 says, They sang a new song saying, Worthy is the Lamb, that's Jesus, to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, 
every tongue and people and nation. The kingdom of God is made up of people from all walks of life. There's a multitude of ethnic groups. The lowly, the poor, the middle class, the wealthy, the rich. And only God can count the number of lives that have been changed and the number of souls that have been saved. The kingdom of God, it starts out small. But it grows and becomes large. Hey, if you're a part of the kingdom of God, this is my question in closing. What are you doing? What are you doing with what you've been given? We've looked at that as we've gone through Mark 4. But are you living out the gospel? You've got to answer this. Hey, I'm not answering this question for you because I've got more than enough work to answer it for me. What are you doing with what you've been given? What are you doing with the gospel? Are you making much of Jesus? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Are you letting others know what God has done for you and what He can do for them through a relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, here's the other good news. And you hear me quote this often, 1 John 1, 9. I love this verse. If, if this is not in your memory bank, you need to write it there. 1 John 1, 9 says that if you'll confess your sins then He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What's the application, Pastor Brad? If you've not been proclaiming the gospel, if you know you need to proclaim the gospel more, you can go before the Lord right now as we pray and ask God to forgive you of that. And ask God just to light a fire in you, amen? And to help you be passionate about something that's eternal. You can make an eternal difference in the lives of other people by sharing the gospel. You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.